0: This program is part of Full Service Radio, an internet radio station and podcast network with over 32 weekly shows broadcasting from the lobby of The Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. All of our hosts are Washington, D.C. locals, covering stuff like music, arts, culture, identity, politics, and so much more. Visit fullserviceradio.org for all of our programming and enjoy the show. Full Service Radio, also proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com.
1: Welcome to Foreign National on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington D.C., I'm one of your two hosts, Eric Bruner Yang, and I'm here with my wife, who's the second host. Say hello.
2: Say the night. Hello.
1: And today is our first show. Uh, we're going to figure out what that means as we get going. Um, but we brought in a guest today, the legendary Todd Thrasher.
3: Legendary. Woo woo. Ooh, clap track.
2: Um, can I ask why your voice got so deep in the beginning, like that?
1: Fine. Yeah, I have a very sexy radio voice. <laughs> I think.
2: <laughs> well, we met. We kind of started talking on Facebook, so I wouldn't have known that in the beginning.
1: <laughs> you all met on Facebook. Um. So Zeta. So uh, Zeta was a customer at um, Tokyo Underground. Tokyo Underground is um, a ramen shop in Washington D.C. that I opened in 2011, and it was kind of officially the first real ramen shop. In actual Washington D.C., and we were very busy, so we were always on a wait list. And she was a guest on a wait list, and I creeped her on Facebook, um, and then I, I contacted her through Facebook.
2: I don't know if I believe that. I feel like is what? How often do you do something like that?
3: <laughs> was that a common thing for you? No, that was the only time. That was actually the only time.
2: That's if, a good answer. Yeah,
3: a restaurant love affair.
1: Restaurant love affair.
3: I no. have a. Uh, I met my wife. I was. We worked at Cafe Lanico together on 8th Street and Penn Quarter, and I was away on vacation. And I came back, and there was this new waitress, and I was, of course, a manager. And I can't date waitresses. And uh, she was hired as a waitress to become a manager at Haleo. And so the day, about a month later, the day she became a manager at Haleo, we went out on our first date. Another restaurant love affair story. I love it. I never broke the rules, though.
2: <laughs> you no, are I, you
3: are very much a rule follower. I,
2: I will always say, no matter how many times I randomly saw Eric, because my girlfriend and I used to go to Tokyo Underground all the time, the only time he stood out to me was when he was scrubbing the walls. I was like, man, I like that guy. He works hard. I'm into that.
3: He wasn't
1: waiting tables like he was last night? Ten years later, I'm still <laughs> doing the grind. i they're doing something right or wrong, right? right. So the, the idea of this, this radio show, Foreign National, is to tell the cultural stories of how... Um, um, these kind of creations that we create through food and beverage happen, right? Um, uh, you know, a little bit about, you know, my background, you know, c- coming f- coming as an immigrant from Taiwan, doing these restaurants and how we try to create our own home in America and then our own place here in Washington, D.C. And not really less about like, hey, check out this really great um, pork that I brought from Japan, um, but more about this great story that's made, that's made it to the restaurant that becomes a part of the restaurant's identity. Um, I thought, you know, before, we've done two shows before under a different name, and it was kind of a similar context. One was this amazing photographer who was um, taking portraits of um, children in the Philippines who had American fathers, um, uh, like from military men that were living in the Philippines, and due to some crazy immigration law, they weren't allowed to come to the U.S. and become American citizens, and they've been abandoned, even though they have these American parents. Um, and then that is a very coarse Filipino story, and how does that kind of relate to, you know, this big craze of Filipino food now? So that was a, a kind of one of our first episodes. And I thought that you would be great because, you know, obviously um, your wife is um, Filipino? El Salvadoran. El Salvadorian. And I'm sorry about that, El Salvadorian, but... Um, at the same time, it's like your relationship with your wife has really defined um, all of your restaurants, Restaurant Eve, TNT, from your children to what you do, and getting to know you over the last year as we partnered on this business, and you've gotten to know my wife. I think that we've gotten along so well because we uh we're, we see a lot of the same things in each other.
3: Right. Yeah. I definitely. Um, our relationship has. We've been friends for a while, but over the past year, we've definitely got to know each other. But it's kind of the same path. You know, you've been with Seda for 10 years. How long? Eight years? Six. Six years? Six. But meeting in the restaurant, working in the restaurants together. And my wife is actually having a little bit of an issue with this restaurant I'm opening because for the last 15 years, uh, we've opened every restaurant together. So she's feeling a little bit left out of this. I know you've offered her positions to come and hang out, but I think she may be enjoying the time away from me a little bit right now. But it's, a, it's a, been an interesting experience without her this time. Yeah,
2: I think it's a little bit of the opposite for us because there's always been a separation for us. Right. I mean, obviously there was Honeycomb and Maketo while we were together that was open. Um, we've always made it a point for me not to be involved. He actually gets irritated if I'm involved because I have too much of an opinion, so, which is so distracting considering he has so many opinions and so many other things that he has to tackle. Um, but this one I've been a big part of, so we've kind of gone the opposite. Yeah. But it hasn't blown up in our face yet.
3: I've seen hey. no blow-ups no, blow at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're working through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, like, Brothers and Sisters really is a story of collaboration, and that's mm-hmm. the what we talk about, uh, you know, with our employees of like what this concept means and i think that's like carrying through maketo and um i think my wife is really good at pushing me to stick to the core values because it's really easy in business to just do what you have to do to make a dollar and get away from why you created the restaurant in the first place um and so i've it's been good to have that balance for usually it's like whatever i say goes and trying to get away from that. so
3: Yeah, you can't. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but you can't do everything by yourself.
1: Yeah, and that's, very, that's very... This show is called Foreign National, which is the tie into what our, our company that runs all these businesses is called Foreign National, but it's very foreign national for all of us to be right. grinding it out and trying to figure it out instead of kind of trying to be better as a unit.
3: Yeah, I think for all of us, it's a lot easier just to do it yourself. You take that I'll do it myself mentality, I'll get it done, I know it'll be done right, but you have, at some point you have to... Let go, and for me, with my wife in our restaurants, we have two completely different skill sets i 'm pretty much good at nothing except being nice to people and making a cocktail once in a while, where she is very good at everything else from you know doing schedules from human resource aspects from doing payroll to taking care of the, the business whereas you know for lack of a better word i 'm the artist right I just want to make cocktails and make people happy where she takes care of the business for for me it 's rewarding and fulfilling because we you know we complement each other
1: who's doing that for you here then (laughs) Uh, you (laughs) um
2: no you know what i've always really appreciated um and what I think is really exciting about what we've done with Four National this year and, and really brothers and sisters and kind of how you say, well, I appreciate that. I'll take that as a compliment about kind of creating a little bit of that balance to kind of bring you back to the core values of why you even do what we do. And, and, and even just the existence of this radio show is like people will always look at what you do, is, you know, Todd, as, you know, cocktails, you know, mixologists, you know, drinks, bar. Um, that bar experience, you know, for for you, Eric, it's always food, something cool, something hip to go to. And for us, my underlying thing, what I've always known about you was that untold conversation that is experienced through food. And that's why I think initially in the first two shows, we're like, well, how do we use food but not really talk about food? Because I think what we realize is that food is the universal thing that people... Um, anybody can connect with. That's what rice kind of, what we just casually kind of named it, where it wasn't because we're Asian, we eat rice, everybody eats rice, but it's because it's universal. You come to the table together. It's, uh, you know, everybody is, you know, the ability to relate to it. And, and you know, I feel like, what you've done so great is to not call yourself really a restaurateur and that we've intentionally told people that, you know, when I'm interviewing people for the job, I mean, it makes my throat and my mouth dry to have to talk extra five minutes to say we're not a restaurant group because even though we, yes, we're known for, you know, the restaurants that you've created and yes, you're known for food and for being a chef and every day we call you chef. But, um, you know, that's not, that's not your thing, right? That's not what the point of what we, what, this is the creation is. It's like food is just a vehicle, you know, to the bigger conversation, to, you know, my background, to your background, to your background, to, um, you know, and, and, and the people around us. You know, it's 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 so interesting. It opens up to so much dialogue. So for you, putting down this uh, for brothers and sisters and creating this menu wasn't about, um, I just want to do a burger just to do a burger. We're doing a burger. But if you're into it and you're ready to have this conversation about why we did this burger is not just for it, like to, to just say that it's relatable. But it goes into this bigger conversation of like, what do you mean by that? It, it's about us when we travel uh, or when people come here and this idea of what American food is. You know, I, I, I think that's been such a special thing that we've been able to do here. But, you know, you did it at Maketo and now here is like a newer conversation about there's an American identity. You know, I felt at Maketo, it was a very D.C. identity, I felt. You know, you, you approach that. Um, and it's just one of that ongoing things. It's not a closed chapter there. It's just the beginning, right? And now here, brothers and sisters, you get to have a, a broader conversation about really American identity.
3: I think Maketo is even more than a D.C. place. It's a Northeast place. It's a north has a Northeast identity. And for you to come here, Eric, this is a fancy hotel, a cosmopolitan hotel with worldwide travelers and I think that conversation we had a you know like a month and a half ago about what kind of restaurant this is that it's an American restaurant and you talked about rice with red sauce that's exactly what this is. This is an American restaurant because America, you know, maybe our president doesn't want it this way, but America is the melting pot. You come in here, you see so many different people and what American food means to them or American restaurant is so different to everyone. I think I think the prime example is the uh, duck consomme with the dashi, mm-hmm. right? That's, it started out very, very Frenchy French, mm-hmm. and then it became American.
2: I haven't had that yet. That's, That's very good. I'm going to let you know next time I'm here.
3: You're here today.
1: Yeah, and I think it was like, you know, we, um, from Todd to Todd, we kind of translated that into the beverage program here, which was so for, for people who are like, what the hell are you talking about? One, we're talking about. I guess right now, Brothers and Sisters, which is the restaurant inside of the lobby of the Lion Hotel. And in um, that restaurant, we are open um, every day at 6.30. We serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and the lunch and dinner happens to be the same menu all day. And for me, um, I'm better known for cooking um, Asian food. Uh, Tokyo Underground, my first place, is a Taiwanese-inspired um, ramen shop. Um, where we're kind of serving ramen, but I'm not a ramen master. And Taipei city itself was occupied by Japanese people during the wars of World War One, World War Two, and so that city itself is heavily influenced by Japanese people. So that's why I say Taiwanese inspired ramen. And then for Maketo, it's kind of a, it's a mixed use concept: restaurant, retail, cafe. Um, and our food focuses on Taiwanese and Cambodian inspired food because. Um, it's kind of an homage to um, the, Me looking at Asian countries differently Once I started experiencing What it meant to be Asian Through Southeast Asian culture And then Brothers and Sisters Is kind of taking it to that next level Where the Seidel group Who's been amazing um, Kind of put me in this unique challenge Where um, they really wanted me to be The focal point of the, the, the restaurant That's in the lobby But that being said you are going to be the main restaurant for a wide variety of different people, age groups, and incomes. Um, and then also it really needs to play to Adams Morgan, the neighborhood that I'm not very familiar with because I've been living in Northeast for the last decade. And how do we connect all that and how do we make a thread? And then for me, it's always very important that everything has some type of cultural context that I can get excited about and be able to identify with. So what we ended up was with is... Um, Brothers and Sisters is this idea of opening an American restaurant in a foreign country, mostly probably in Japan or in Taiwan, and what that that what that would mean, um, and what would be on that menu, and how would we describe and show what we would interpret as American food. And it really kind of hit me on when we onboarded all the first ninety employees before we opened, and I was looking across the room. And everyone was so different. Everyone was a different age, different gender, different race, different color, um, different generation. Some from here, some second, some third, some fourth. And everyone had this different story about food, about what an American food experience was to them. So once we had that menu dialed down and we had stuff like burgers and Caesar salads and, um, um, you know, chicken noodle soup, or we, which is a duck noodle soup here kind of vibe, um, was that it was okay for us to do it differently, not in a way to say, hey, we're being fun foo-foo chefs who are trying to do something different, but that American food in general has so many different interpretations, whether you're in, um, whether your wife's from El Salvador and, um, you know, you might have what burger night would be. um, For me, we had um, spaghetti and meatball night every Monday, but we never had noodles. It was always rice, meatballs, and red sauce. And, I didn't know what spaghetti and meatball night was until I went to uh, a, a white friend in, in grade school, and their spaghetti and meatball night had noodles, and I was like, what is going on? So I think we did that really well with brothers and sisters, and I know we try to try remember meeting Todd and trying to tell him what I was doing, and he didn't think I was crazy, and he got it right away. And then he also got that hotel bars is a huge part of American culture itself, and so there's some great things on his bar list, and he can talk about how... He took my kind of a seed and then translated into what we offer here.
3: So um, when Eric came to me, I I, I remember I was uh, I had just gotten my hair cut, and I took Eric's phone call and I'm like, are you butt dialing me? Because why would he be calling me at you know two o'clock in the afternoon? And then he asked me, would I be interested in doing this? And I'm like, well, that'd be interesting. And you know, I had to think about it because I, number one, I'm opening a, a rum distillery and have other things going on but then you know it really came to me about hotel bars in washington dc how whenever we travel to new york we always go to these amazing hotel bars you know the sedel group just talking about it, the the nomad and how i thought it'd be such a great thing to make the greatest hotel bar ever in washington dc and you know using brothers and sisters and the line hotel as a vessel um it just, I had to jump at the opportunity. The place is beautiful. The food is beautiful. You know, everything about what's going on here in Adams Morgan is, is beautiful. So, you know, when Eric approached me, I wanted to um, get, pay homage to other great hotel bars across the world. So we put a, um, a three part menu we have um, cocktails inspired by hotels, classic American cocktails, and then um, cocktails inspired by love, life, music, and friends. So, the first two sections have five cocktails each. The second, the third section has ten cocktails. Um, you know, I went to, I did a, a guest bartending in Paris two November's ago, and I, I don't like bloody marys. I, I despise everything about them, but I had to go to Harry's Bar and try a bloody mary in Paris, and uh, I put that cocktail on the menu, which has proven to be, you know, I didn't think anyone would buy bloody marys on Tuesday night at seven o'clock, but they do. Um, and then, like the classic American cocktail area, uh, the mint julep is the big seller. And then, uh, one of the cocktails in the cocktails inspired by love and life and music is is one that is a uh, bourbon bourbon-based, which I think bourbon is the, is the big thing. It's called "It's You and Me and We're Back Again." And it's a uh, I stole the 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 name of the drink from a, uh, a song, uh, and then the cocktail itself has just been so so big i've been going through so much bell mead whiskey um but it's it's really fun and i think speaking to what you said eric about the different type of people that come in here it's just crazy like saturday night you're looking around the room there there had to be 300 people in the lobby but there wasn't one demographic or one age group or one anything it was just everyone in here gathered in this meeting place you know that used to be the church and i think the name brothers and sisters really lends that because it is just a meeting place i mean you look around here right now there's people on the computers they're working people having talking to each other they're drinking in the middle of the afternoon which i think is great <laughs> but.
1: my favorite cocktail story and um this was something that um you know when zeta zeta was helping me do the research about adams morgan and we discovered that you know american samba was basically founded in in adams morgan a of, just a block, a block away, at, away yeah. at all souls church all saints church all souls all, church, souls. all souls church and um And I remember that we listened to samba in the car every day for like three months because we were like, it's such a cool identity for what was going on here in that time period.
3: It's the birthplace of bossa nova jazz music. I mean, this is it right here in D.C.
1: And so you ha we have this talking. He tells the story better because I no. It I, up I like the way you
3: told the story. Last oh, by the way, you, you so when you only tell a good story. Did <laughs> did Eric tell you he made five cocktails last night? Yeah, I had I was
1: he bartended this, bartended last
3: night. I bartended last night
2: and you ran room service <laughs> and I did in, room, room, delivery. Room, in we're delivery. Client, room delivery in room delivery in floor room managed <laughs> and took care of the baby and
1: Hey, you're making me sound like I'm awesome, but <laughs> yeah, many f- tables the other night. I have many failings. <laughs> um, yeah, so um. Uh, Charlie Byrne and Stan Getz recorded um, in one day in one take um, basically event in American Samba All Souls Church and Stan Getz I get so confused had a house in Annapolis <laughs> yes yeah. and his boat was called I'm hip and so there's a drink on our menu called I'm hip and very bitter and that's like the perfect example of taking something with cultural nuances or story and how that Ends up translating into our F and B experience was discovering this knowledge of something that was created here in Adams Morgan, identifying with it, learning more about it and how it's influenced, and then having this amazing story about this cocktail because so many people are always like, I, "I don't drink," so, but I know funny, not funny, but Charlie co- Bird. I keep we keep, Charlie we, we, we Charlie Bird.
3: Be, Charlie Bird died in Naples. Stan gets died in Malibu.
1: Ah, so, yes, Charlie Bird had a house in yes. the boat. That's right. I'm hip, very bitter. It's like telephone with that story. All right. Well, we got it now. We're, we're done. We're done. We get it. And um, because, uh, you know, you get these young bartenders and they love coming up with these really stupid cocktail names. And then you're like, what's it about? And they're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right,
3: you know? Well, I think it goes back to talking about stories, right? Okay. So I'm opening a rum distillery. I went to a school called Moonshine University, and uh, so I go there. I know nothing about distilling, but I go there, and this, this gentleman, Lewis, um, starts talking about things, and he's like, "It doesn't matter what's in the bottle. Eighty percent doesn't matter. Twenty percent it matters. It needs to taste good, but eighty percent is the story you tell about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you can tell a good story, everything else is going to come out, and that's what." I like I say, I have no talent in the world. I'm able to be nice to people and I'm able to make, I'm able to tell stories. I think I got that from my dad. But telling stories through cocktails, food, service is is for me it's it's awesome.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I love that, you know, as we were, you know, the last couple of minutes talking about this discovery and the learning and then, you know, this this drink of I'm hip and bitter. Um, you know, we're not coming into this saying You know we know everything about american food we know everything about japanese food or or taiwanese culture or even a maketo But we're here to just have this conversation and through this process learning about the people and the history around us and there's nothing wrong with that if anything you know it's not doing um you know not coming in and say you know i spent 20 years researching how hamburgers were made It's like, this is how I know a hamburger. This is how I'm coming down and putting it down in front of you. And along the way, I had these conversations with the people around me. And here we are. And this is a product that we have. And now we get to continue on that conversation. Like, I always feel that especially, you know, going back to just this American identity and, you know, food itself and that conversation about food and authenticity and who's making it is the white guy can't make tacos is always the argument, right? It's ridiculous. But you know, if somebody cares about something, and they're interested in it, and they want to do justice to it, and the complexities of the story behind it, um, you know, where 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 is that challenge? You know, where is that? Um, why is that such an issue with some people? You know, and, and, and I, that's why I enjoy uh, you know having an opportunity that we get to sit down here and talk about that because we never came in here, you know, saying um, this. Like, it's so important to say this is our perspective. And it's not because our perspective is the right way or the wrong way. It's an evolved perspective. And it's my personal experience that I hope is relatable to other people. But it is also allowing you to understand a little bit about me and possibly the people around you.
1: Yeah, I remember during the height of like people, you know, obviously everyone is very sensitive over the last year (coughs) due to the political climate here in the United States. But I remember, you know, and, and food appropriation is very big in our world. In the in how how do we talk about it, especially in America? I mean, mostly in America. And I remember um, reading these um, kind of Reddit threads against Rick Bayless, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! That guy is a dude, untouchable. Like, if it wasn't for Rick Bayless and what he's done, I mean, and he won't he would never even take full credit or full accountability for his impact of how people perceive real Mexican food in America, but it's like, that's the wrong, that's the wrong target, you know? And it's like, um, and it's on it is, you know, it is unfortunate. And it's, it's also just the reality though, that it is kind of takes someone like that to open everyone's eyes to something before. So that people who are more, you know, middle average or whatever to want to try, And interpret new things and then become passionate about them yeah but
3: yeah i mean honestly before rick bayless i mean mexican food was tex-mex yeah and he introduced you know albeit in chicago america to real mexican cuisine yeah
2: i mean my idea of mexican food when i was young was my american idea of tacos in a box yeah you know and that that's isn't that part of what we're doing here that's part of
1: the story yeah Exactly.
2: I love that little tacos in a box thing. <laughs> but, you know, we know that now. But we know, you know, what it is. You know, what? how How do we, you know, to to listen to people that says, hey, wait a minute. I know that you thought that that's what that is. But let me show you, yep. you know, where what it is.
1: Do you have, Todd, you know, your wife being El Salvadorian, you know, interesting kind of funny anecdotes where, you know, like the rice with spaghetti and meatballs or... Potatoes. Taco box says.
2: Oh, we also love that spaghetti. We didn't do so, nothing with well, that red sauce.
3: <laughs> so it's called my wife's grandmother who raised hers was Mama Mae, And um, so her idea of spaghetti is s- noodles. Mm-hmm. They, she, my, my wife grew up in El Salvador till she was 15. And then they came here. Um, and the one thing that. Mama Maya would make In El Salvador That she still made here Because you know In El Salvador Obviously the bounty Is much bigger than it was In, in Bethesda, Maryland Where they moved to Was a spaghetti mm-hmm. With a tomato paste And milk so it's like this, and I, I love it. It's so good. So I mean, this is the only thing my wife cooks. My wife cannot cook at all. <laughs> um, but she mm-hmm. takes, uh, <laughs> do you know that feeling? Uh, but it why, always why ends up being good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, I'll just say mm-hmm because I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. So she makes, she takes milk and tomato paste and makes spaghetti with it. And that's it, milk, tomato paste, and spaghetti noodles.
2: Is this going to be a foreign national cookbook? Just weird shit that we use to Is That just we call American? It. Yeah, yeah I like this that is idea. Our, it the is foreign American, national right? cookbook. What do you think, Jack? there's i know there's gonna be a cocktail section where you know christian zuniga hey christian he's out in chile he's with our team um he told me because we talked about just snacks that we grown up just mm-hmm. like the nostalgic kind of thing for me and it still always will be our doritos with chili cheese in the bag from the ice cream truck you know they do the pumping mm-hmm. if i could carry that at shopkeepers i mean my life would be made um but he was telling me wine and coca-cola is a thing Calimacho. There you go. Yeah, if you it's go, probably not even that weird. It's just no,
3: probably normal. No, in, in Spain, like if you go to the Ramblas and like they have all those little kiosks, that's what kids start drinking with. It's, it's If you're in Barcelona, it's Calimocho. And if you're in southern Spain, it's called Rebojito, which is Sherry and Sprite. Mm. Yeah.
2: Sherry and Sprite. So that could be in the cocktail section of the Foreign National Cookbook. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. All of our weird semi-American
2: Be sure to take an antacid before you actually eat any of this food.
1: In China, I was in Beijing when they were, I mean, everyday pollution is really bad there. But two years ago, remember there was, they were closing schools and stuff like that because you couldn't even go outside. And there was artists who were vacuuming the air and turning them into sculptures. This was when I went. And I wanted um, Zeta and the kids to come, but she was pregnant at the time. So I ended up going by myself.
2: No, that was when I got pregnant.
1: The second time.
2: I wasn't pregnant in Beijing.
1: Oh, she didn't come. I thought. Oh, Oh,
2: the second time. Yeah, you went with the other girl. The second
1: time you didn't come because you had gotten pregnant the first time we were in Beijing. getting
2: pregnant.
3: (laughs) That's what happens.
1: (laughs) And um, um, I was so, I was just jammed up from the air. Did you wear a mask? No. Um, I don't think you're allowed to wear a mask in the Waldorf Astoria Beijing would be inappropriate. No. You know. They didn't pay all that money for air filters for nothing.
3: You could have been dazzled or something. Yeah,
1: but they kept making me um, steamed Coca Cola and ginger to clear my sinuses, and it was amazing.
3: What What do you mean?
1: So they would they would get Coca Cola, they would put it in the espresso steam wand, and, and with fresh ginger slices, and it would be hot Coca Cola and ginger wedges, and it would just you were it felt like a million bucks.
3: I'm gonna go try this as soon as we're done. Yeah.
1: I tried to sell it to a lady at a table. She was not. Didn't she was like, I don't feel good. I've been traveling. And I was like, hot Coca-Cola and ginger. She's like, I don't put that in my body. And I was like, well, you don't feel good, so you might as well just try something, lady. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that's my Coke story.
3: I've never heard of this.
2: Mm.
1: It can become a thing here. I tried putting it on the Maketo menu, but the barista's revolted. I said no.
3: Was it the high fructose corn syrup, or was it just... The idea—the
1: idea that their steam wand would be touched by a soda. Oh my god! Should we offer a free steamed coke to the first caller? <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> is it going to be you? Oh wait! <laughs> yeah, do it we, is.
2: Do we accept callers on this this show? Are oh. we be one of those?
0: We will starting next week. Oh my god, that's oh, nice. amazing!
2: I loved calling into the radio show. My sister and I we would press music, you know, and you would actually like wait by your, you know, little cassette thing to press record so that we can create your own like tape. Why are you looking at me like that? You're older than me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like so, you you, know, you call in. You're like, hey, can you, but make I don't sure understand you play the song? The cassette. Yeah, they because you can themselves. record it. Oh, on you the want to radio. record yourself? No, we're not recording ourselves. We're recording the song, so we could. We didn't. We uh, not have to go to uh, Sam Goody uh, to pay 99 cents for the single. Sam, me
0: okay. too. Yeah, that was my yeah, life.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, my sister actually had this one tape. I really, I'm sure she probably was wishing the same thing. Uh, one specific tape that was the best best mixtape Glenn Hollis 97.1 after hours this is all <laughs> he always talks about that you Glenn Hollis the, you need to get the radio voice okay this is out. what I grew up it was, hey. it was 93.9 uh, 95.5 and 97.1, 97.1 after
3: hours 97.1 <laughs> is Glenn FM it's like Glenn easy Hul- listening music
2: yes
1: say yes. is an expert besides an expert in sna- American <laughs> snacks and 7 what seven eleven, 11 on Wilson Boulevard Sells
2: not Wilson Boulevard. Which, Coolmore, hey. Colmore, 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 right next to our yeah. house. That's right. She
1: knows. Every, she knows. She could be the inventory. She could do the ordering there, but she's an expert in Seven Eleven snacks and American nineties, late eighties R and B. So what was okay? R and B, as well
2: as care, Asian karaoke music, which is like you know, you know the, the Careless Whispers, House of the Right. Oh my God, a, Cambodians at a party. Don't don't bring that out that that was her. so my sister put a, put together every time after 7 p.m you know we'd switch it over to 97.1 and it was just all that little love soft rock or, or you know what larry larry from coronation coffee hey um he calls it, it he told me what it's actually called i learned this this year yacht yacht rock i don't even know if i ever know how to say that mm-hmm. word properly do f- I'm you I'm do not, look I'm not uncomfortable saying it. Yacht, yacht rock. I, it's the C H T part. I can't say <laughs> no. it. Yacht rock music. That's what he told me. And sure enough, I went on Spotify and all the hits were there. Okay. Brian Adams, they're all there, all there. <laughs> they're all there.
3: That was Wash Effin.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it was two sided. Sometimes when we go to bed, we just press play and we just like, let it play out until we fall asleep.
1: I used to do that for the girls I liked in high school record the songs off the radio put music on for
2: them while they went to bed or you make a (laughs) mixtape make a (laughs)
1: mixtape make a mixtape from the radio
3: I think we all did that
1: back when the radio I used 8 track yeah back when radio (laughs) was good nothing is crazier now that when I turn on the radio it's the same like if I turn on 101.1 now it's the same exact music as when I was in high school
3: yeah there there are sorry Jack there are no great radio stations in DC right now (laughs) except this, this
0: one this is more than radio right Yes. This isn't really radio. I got yelled at for saying that to somebody here. What? Are we, it? Like, it's not real radio. And someone said, "Oh, how dare you say that?"
3: It says right here. What is full real radio? Service radio. Yeah.
0: yeah. What is real radio? Uh, it's transmitted um, terrestrially. You know, you can tune uh, in in your car. That's like yeah, technically radio. Yeah. It is kind of a cheating name, calling it full service radio. Jack,
2: uh, can you tell us well, one of is your it, favorite like weird tech Is it, like,
1: is te- t- te- t- is it te- technically an album if you download it from the internet? Exactly. Then? That's the same oh, thing. Man, yeah. Right. What was that though, Seda?
2: No, what is your favorite kid snack growing up? Something weird. Ooh. All
0: right. It's a tie between smart food, popcorn.
2: What? Smart food. Did you put anything in the bag?
0: <laughs> His hand. Yeah, my hand. Uh, that's and not, that's cool, not good cou- enough for me. Cooler Ranch Doritos was the real uh. one. So
2: did you put anything in the bag? I repeat. <laughs> Did you sprinkle His like hand. chili into the popcorn? Oh, oh into like, like the cheddar into
0: on? cheddar smart food popcorn? No, I was good with that. But uh, like Cool Ranch Doritos was the real. That was the real one. All right. That was the real snack.
1: Well, Jack, like what's your what's your kind of like your background, your family background? So, single mom growing up,
0: um, very Sicilian family, and I grew up in Long Island. So, like I don't know, forty minutes outside of the city on the South Shore. So yeah I actually spent a lot of time eating snacks my mom worked in supermarkets she was like she did she stocked supermarkets with like magazines and um, like other candles and greeting cards and shit like that so I'd spend a lot of time in the grocery store in the back with her like reading through all the magazines they were throwing out because they were too old and then getting whatever snacks were like left over they couldn't sell so I actually had a lot of snacks growing up
2: I I love a good snack story because the, the thing about snacks, I take my snacks very seriously. I have a te- is that sm- is that moment.
3: I have a terrible snack that I when I was a kid I loved, iced tea and Lucky Charms.
1: Ah, that's like,
2: like my daughter. Whoa, <laughs> Whoa. My daughter. Oh my
3: god, it's so, so terrible. terrible.
2: Okay,
1: so do you do you? Pour the iced tea into a bowl of Lucky Charms. Or are you having dry Lucky Charms and oh iced tea? Oh my god! You pour the iced tea into oh my
3: god. The wow. I've never
1: heard so that. So what, okay,
2: so what was your? See, this is why I love to so dissect people's snacks. Is because like, what brought you?
3: To, to this is why them. I'm
2: asking Jack. Like, did you put anything in the bag? Because no, what brought <laughs> me something. to
3: combine those is we were out of milk one day. Okay. <laughs> wow! And then I just forever I stopped now, but I have forever after that would drink unsweetened iced tea. And lucky Charms, because the iced tea became sweet. That, that sounds is. really good with the magical marshmallows.
1: You know, we could do an iced tea. Um, it would be the new um, cereal milk ice cream, but it would be ice iced tea, tea <laughs> cereal ice cream.
3: Uh, I don't
1: know. Yeah, watch out, Christine. It'll, it'll be called it'll be called the the Todd Thrasher instead of the Arnold Parma.
3: <laughs> Wait, know if do you gonna buy
2: it. actually? You know what's funny, Eric? Right, well, do you have any weird secret snacks besides your? besides the boring like kind of like Jack you just eat chips out of the bag like <laughs> do you have any weird thing that you do I feel like I haven't
1: no mm-hmm. my, my big thing I think which always throws people off is as you know is I'm, I'm a huge fan of McDonald's and um and you know us as a married couple we do fight about how often I want to take my daughter to McDonald's not just because it's convenient but because it's just uh, a big part of like my identity you know um when I was born i I lived in Taiwan um with my grandparents till I was about four while my mom immigrated to the u s to get a job and build a home so whenever it was all set up, I could come and live in the u s with her and she would we would have a place to live and whether we wouldn't have to kind of go through that even though it was still a struggle always you know once you get get there but my treat every day after school was um, my mom would take me to McDonald's and, and I would have a Happy Meal. And, it, you know, and people joan on McDonald's a lot. And it's always like it's, it is one of the cheapest, most nutrient-dense meals that poor-income families can have in America is they can go to McDonald's mm-hmm. and have a meal and, um, s- you know, sit down and have a meal that they can afford and sit down somewhere. And then that just became a huge part of who I was. And I was a huge McDonald's toy collector Growing up, and I collected all the toys because we would go so much. So I would have like, I'd have the whole run. Like if they came out with eight Moonmen, I'd have all eight Moonmen. Not because like I would rifle through them, because I just went so much. And um, and then that's kind of how I ended up becoming an entrepreneur. My mom, she would work at these flea markets on the weekends. Her friends would have these little flea markets selling like little Asian trinkets that they'd get at these little wholesalers all through the city. And I would go with her and I would sell my McDonald toys as something to do. I would bag them up in little sets, sell them for a couple bucks. So I'd break a pack if you only had, you know, <laughs> some change. And that's like, that was like my first, I've always, you know, liked the idea of selling something and making people happy. And so McDonald's was just a huge part of my identity. So I, I you know, it is no, I think my first Washington Post interview on the back of the Sunday magazine they're like what's your favorite food and i was like mcdonald's i mean now it's rpm so <laughs> <laughs> um, you know Mc- number two is mcdonald's <laughs>
3: Forever That's loyal. such a dope Forever story loyal. my wife um her favorite snack food is cucumbers cut up i mean remember she grew up in the country in el salvador so they didn't have any there was no Seven Eleven or anything so cucumbers cut up with uh copious amounts of lime juice and then they have this flavoring called acidito lucas which is sugar salt citric acid and chili powder And oh my god it's so good
2: oh yeah i mean yeah. i i do the same thing too it was cucumbers or a tomato if right. we didn't have a cucumbers it was like the second thing but it would be the tamarind soup base oh so yeah. it's like yeah 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 you know you're yeah. <laughs> like so just you know Shave off the thing, you know, dip it into the bag and just like either lick it or just chew yeah. on it. And, oh man, yeah, tamarind like so soup taste is, is
1: like instant soup flavor. It's like the instant soup flavoring for right. people. Yeah. In Cambodia, they, they take it, you know, they have the same thing and I learned to like it, but, you know.
3: More than McDonald's?
1: Well, no, it's like, you know, like here in the US, like fruit has to be ripened. Right. Right. And yeah, it's no. like this. This mango is so ripe and right. it's, no, green mango, yeah, oh, delicious. Right. And then Cambog- it, like if it's ripe, it's bad over right. there. It's like it needs to be green and sour. And so they take all this fruit that we eat here, super sweet, and but over there, it's like it needs to be hard and unripened. And then they yeah. would dip it in something chili, similar. salt, yeah, chilies, yeah. salt and chili sugar. Salt,
3: right. Yeah, um, no, okay. same. No, Which
1: is crazy because you can't get a fucking cup of water there, and then you just eat this thing, and you're like, I'm so
2: dehydrated.
3: <laughs> And my mouth is full of spice.
2: Yeah. Maybe that's why they eat all day over there. Yeah. Just to like quench the thirst. Mean yeah. Just to like hold back the thirst. Just to snack all day.
1: That's true. Yeah. Well, I think that um, wraps up our first episode here with Mr. Todd Thrasher. And um, I think we're just going to get better at this and figure out you everything. You think you can get better than this, Eric?
2: I know. I mean, I mean we've you on. heard it here, how he became an entrepreneur. McDonald's happy meal toys. So the next time I'm cleaning up all of Ami's toys, she already yelled at me about all these like freaking like uh, those pony, my little pony I mean, glasses I mean, or whatever. Yeah. I'm like trying to throw them away. I'm going to throw them away. I'm trying to put them in a bag so I can get rid of them and donate them. She's just like pulling them out of the bag, getting mad at me about it. And now I can actually be like, "Well, you know, let's make a let's make a business out of this like your father."
3: Yeah, but you, you could set up a table in the lobby here. I
1: actually she tried it. <laughs> she would crush. If if she sat here and sold chips all day, She'd put the cup out of business. <laughs> Shots fired. Sorry, Shots fired. <laughs> hey, have a great day, everybody. you yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service R-D-O, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.